What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? I have special guest Maria Redman on the line with us today. I'm very excited to bring this podcast interview to y'all for a lot of reasons. One is that Maria Redman is an IFBB pro competitor, a natural competitor, and a ketogenic competitor. Those are three things you don't ever hear in the same sentence. So super stoked to bring that to you. Another thing is that she's a female. So there's not too much information that I've given from the perspective of a female in the ketogenic diet. So she brings that to the table as well. She's a mom of four. She's a certified NASM and NFPT trainer, dietitian, and nutritionist. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this very educational and informative interview with Maria Redman. A sound check real quick. What did you have for breakfast this morning, Maria? Uh, I had three eggs, half of an avocado, and some cabbage. <laughs> nice. That sounds keto for sure. So without further ado, here's Maria. Let you introduce yourself more. Go for it. Hello, everyone. I am formerly Maria Carson. I am now Maria Redman. Uh, yes, I am an IFBB pro, um, full-time ketogenic dieter. Um, I don't do any off-season or, um, you know, with carbs. I do it all keto. So um, just a little bit about me and got into the fitness field at about 2008, um, started there, lost over 134 pounds, decided that I wanted to go ahead and get in school and, and get my dietary degree um, and learn more about nutrition. And that led me to the wonderful world of keto um, and keto with competing. So that's what we got. We want to talk to you guys about today and get you some information on how everything goes. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, this is the second time I've talked to you, so I'm excited to... Uh learn some stuff as we go here. The first time was a good five minutes, so this is all new to me too. Um, <laughs> I totally said your maiden name. I could edit that out if you'd like. That's okay. No, you're good. <laughs> okay. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, all right. So Maria, that, tell, tell me what you just told told me a moment ago about how you kind of got started in the sports, um, what your motivation was behind starting keto. Because I mean, you said you lost all that weight. Like what what made you get to that point? and then decide that you had to switch and do something differently? All right. Well, I started with, I was always in sports. Um, played football and full contact football, and so you need to be kind of a bigger person to play football. I was always a bigger person anyway. Um, I played tight end for the Carolina Queens. Um, had an end-of-year party. My kids were there. My son asked me if I was going to be fat forever, so he, he called me out. He was eight at the time, and mm -hmm. uh, I just knew that, that something wasn't right. I said, I gotta, I gotta take control, better, better care of myself. And really what, what motivated me the most was not so much that I thought I was fat, even though I was, it was that I, I didn't feel like I was teaching my children to respect their bodies. Um, so I wanted to kind of really rectify that whole thing. Um, immediately got a gym membership and started there. I started digging in nutrition books and then I signed back up for school to get my dietetic degree. Um, because I knew that food definitely was going to be where it's at. Um, in my findings, it kind of led me all the way into uh, realizing that a ketogenic diet, you know, was, was definitely going to be able to be utilized just, just not only for weight loss, but so many health benefits um, that go along with it. Um, I started digging into that more. Um, as I started competing at, in the beginning, I didn't do keto at first all the way through. I would start with your, you know, traditional carb loading as you do and, you know, as you come down closer to show weaning out to what ends up being keto, right? We all right. end up doing 
ketogenic diet eventually in the com competition world anyway. And I said to myself, this doesn't make sense. You know, why go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth? I need to pick a method and see if it really works and stick with it. Um, so my motivating factor really though, after, you know, aside from my son, was really just wanting to help other people lose a good amount of weight. I had already lost well over 100 pounds. I knew exactly what it took to get the weight off, and I was doing it quite, in fact, low carb. You know, it was low carb, moderate fat, because I hadn't had quite knowledge, but when I look back at how I did it, it, you know, was going towards that, that way, that mode of being ketogenic. So I really started to want to help a lot of other people get the weight off that way. So I'm gonna back up just a little bit. What was your what was your diet like when you were at your heaviest? And what, what was your heaviest weight then? Two hundred and seventy pounds. Two hundred and seventy pounds. And how tall are you? I'm five ten. Five ten. So what was your what was your diet consisting of at that stage in your life? Ooh, at that stage, uh, I'm I'm originally from the islands. I'm an island girl. So uh, our plates in the islands are made up very, very differently from an American plate. So we'll have a <laughs> we'll have a piece of meat, chicken, steak, fish on the plate, but then we'll have several different types of starches. We'll have you know something called peas and rice, or you know sweet potato or potato stuffing. This is all at the same time on one plate, and then you might have your vegetable, and it's corn, yeah. which we all know corn is a starch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had to move to the United States to learn that it is, you know, not a vegetable. But um, I'd eat tons of that. Uh, my mornings consisted of uh, cereal, like oatmeal. However, it was what I was doing to the oatmeal. You know, loads of sugar I'd put in it. And, you know, um, I was using milk at the time, <laughs> right. which was okay. But, you know, a lot of milk, a lot of sugar. Um, so that wasn't very healthy. And I was also doing processed you know, things like bagels, um, French toast sticks, things of that nature is what it used to be. Now my, my evening meals, I was, I'm always good, was always good with vegetables. So I never had a problem there. It always had a ton of vegetables on a plate, but I had to have rice and it was probably in an abundance, maybe two, three cups. Like a white rice or like a, a whole grain brown rice or something? A white, yeah. Brown rice was non-existent in my world. Yeah. <laughs> it was white rice all the way. So high glycemic to to the top. Oh, yes, I can add insulin. <laughs> what uh, so like I mean you were playing football then so you were you were still training so you were probably pretty strong and like muscular then you just weren't lean. Mm, I I don't even feel like I looked very muscular to be quite honest. I I just I looked very what some people call solid. Yeah. I looked very very solid. Um, I did lift. I I was was definitely very strong. I had no problems there, and I think honestly that's what also made me feel like I wasn't so out of shape you know when you're right. active and you're able to move and function you know I, I i definitely didn't feel like i was out of shape at all did you like mentally like in your head did you feel that you were overweight or were you just totally blind to your own uh perception there i was oblivious at first until i was forced to have to look at myself in the mirror and when i did i was like okay I've just been trying to skate over it. I'm back. Yeah. No, it, it is it is crazy because like when I was 230, I used to never think I was fat. I was just like, oh, I'm a bodybuilder. I'm bulking up. I'm just big. But I never like saw myself as fat. And then like after right. I cut down, I'd look back and I just had this like phobia. I'd always ask my friends like, do my cheeks look fat? I look fat right now, don't I? Do I look, yes, I do. 
toilet crack here. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how your your brain plays tricks on you like that. Absolutely, absolutely. So your son brought it to your attention. You realized you had to make a switch, and then yeah. you started. You got a membership that day, and you started tackling nutrition. What uh, did you start getting your degree right then as well, or was there like a progression, or how'd that work? Nope, I got. I started with my degree about three months after that. Um, I went ahead and school was opening up, so I said I'm going right now while my mind is fresh and I'm on fire to want to learn. You know, once you're an adult, you're you tend to see some time to want to learn new things. You know, especially when you're comfortable in business, it's, it's you know not so high. But I knew that if I didn't attack it right then and there, I wasn't going to overcome my issue and and really learn how to become healthy and keep my weight off. Um, the odd thing is that getting that degree, though it's great, and, and I love the dietary world, um, you're you're not exactly taught what you think you're going to be taught. You know, in school, you learn how to tell someone that they can still go to, you know, McDonald's and you know have the burger on the bun, don't eat the fries, or have ten triscuits today instead of fifteen triscuits. Yeah. So it's not exactly what people think it is. You know, there's there's definitely a huge difference. I feel like the organized uh, medical and governmental regu- regulated agencies, they, they try and play it very safe and not go too extreme with anything. Absolutely. Um, well, that and I think after being in an industry for so long, I'm a firm believer of, you know, I really think that here's the thing. If they change it, and say, okay, here's what you really need to do, then they're out of money. Right. Their money system is going to go away. You know, it's just like big pharma. If yep. you create a pill for the disease that cures it, well, now it's gone. So no one else is coming to get it anymore. You're done. Exactly. It's, it's exactly. the food industry. So they have to perpetuate the, the money going, you yep. know? It's all about the money, it seems. It's unfortunate. But uh, it's just, I guess, business for you right there. Um, right. So what, what degree was it specifically? Dietary. 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 I'm a North Carolina registered dietitian. Very nice. Very nice. And and did they talk much about keto or is keto kind of – because I know like a lot of the medical books, um, they're kind of dated with all the research that's coming out with keto, especially in the, the last five years. So I don't know if like your professors really touch on that or if that's kind of like a hush-hush not, topic. Not hugely. Um, there was a small section, of course, that Atkins was, was huge around that, that portion – and they talked a lot about Atkins. And what I remember the most in the talks about the Atkins diet was that eventually they know that what's going to happen is all these people that are doing this fad diet, as they called it, are going to end up with, you know, high cholesterol and, and some form of heart disease. And they were saying, you really need to get your whole grains in. And, mm-hmm. and the, the main focus of the driving focus of all of that was whole grains, whole grains, whole grains. Um, so there was very, very small section on ketogenic diet specifically. You do talk about, you know, of course, you know, using, you know, a higher fat model to become healthy, but they don't go all the way. They seem to always reel it back in and say it's good for the short term, but, you know, you right. want to really be healthy overall, go back to your whole foods and your whole grains. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling to me, kind of like the – and I, I don't know. I mean, they all have like their, their degrees, you know, and I've got a degree, but not in nutrition. So what gives me the right to say I know what I'm talking about, you know, but I, the numbers just make sense. Like I feel, perform, look, act much better with a higher fat diet. And yet all the medical books 
keep advising you to, you know, do these high carbohydrate based diets where it's just lending itself to, you know, substantial medical conditions in the long term. It just blows my mind that that has not been upset yet. The tipping point has not yet been reached. But yeah, so it just blows my mind that that the there's such a lag time between what's, you know, thrown out to the general public to be advised for and then what's actually done, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I do feel like keto is gaining some serious momentum. Like it just keeps, I mean, from like social media and it just seems to be on a a wave right now, which is exciting. Yeah, absolutely it is. And honestly, I think social media has really helped expand it. But um, in in my profession, just through the day-to-day, it's really been heavy and strong for like the last – I'd say six years, it's really been coming on strong, Um, not only in the fitness realm in terms of bodybuilding, but more so also for, you know, endurance athletes are now using them, MMA fighters are now using it. Um, So it's, it's really crossed the borders into all forms of athletics, which is absolutely amazing. So it really is coming on strong. I think, you know, it's, it's blowing up even more thanks to social media, right. um, which which is great because there's people who really need to, to know about it. You know, I don't know if it's necessarily it's not always 100 percent a diet path for everyone. You know, there are some, you know, some people that won't benefit from it just because of their epigenetics. But that's another you know subject. Yeah. Um, but it definitely has a place, you know in our in our lifestyle and we need to start you know grasping and accepting it that whole grains are not the way to go yeah it's you're starting to see um kind of more mass-produced food in like grocery stores that are keto friendly which is exciting too like i i love going to grocery stores i'll spend i'll spend all day walking through different grocery stores just to see what i can get creative with and what they're selling yeah but you're starting to see like microwavable you know, cauliflower mashed potatoes, which mm-hmm. is something you would never have seen, never you know, a couple seen. of years ago. Um, so that's exciting. But I, I like, I like just making my own food and getting creative with it. But it is cool to see it become more mass produced. Um, and supplement companies are starting to spend a lot more money on the ketogenic supplements, which is always a good sign. You know, they're, they're not going to invest money if they don't think it's here to stay. Um, so do you think the trend is just going to keep going up, or do you think it's going to plateau at any point in the near future and then and then decline again i think from a general population standpoint that it's going to continue to grow and also from an endurance um athletics standpoint it's going to continue to grow um where i think it may plateau is in the um unfortunately the bodybuilding realm um there just seems to be this huge disconnect between bodybuilders understanding that you can put on size, you know, with a ketogenic diet. They're so trained to think about only ingesting carbs and having to have carbs as a fuel source to do this. Um, I think that it will eventually, I don't think that it will take off as much as it has in other sports within bodybuilding. But for general population, I think that ketogenic is going to be the new eat your whole grains, which it rightfully should be because if you go back to Paleolithic days, um, you know, they were ketogenic dieters by right. default. What uh, so I, I think that do you think there's anything that can be done or would have to happen for it to 
continue to build momentum in the bodybuilding community? Yeah, I do. I think that there needs to be more um, athletes that are ketogenic dieters speaking up and, and you know, being okay with, 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 you know, speaking up and saying, hey, look, this is what I'm doing. This is what's happening. The problem that we also have in the bodybuilding community, especially within IFBB and NPC um, specifically, um, is the usage of, of extra supplements, you know, the super supplements right. that they're taking. So they're relying very, very heavily on that. Um, and in their minds, they need carbs to fuel <laughs> these, you know, sources of, of extra supplementation. But that's just not true. So when you have a competitor like myself that I'm natural and I ketogenic diet and get on stage, you know, they'll say things, well, maybe you're not as big because you don't eat any carbs or, you know, but I'm always the most conditioned on stage. Right. So um, I think I think that's where the argument comes in at. And I think that's why they they don't really want to latch on to it so much. They they they're there. They need these carbs for whatever reason in their heads. And that's the way it's they they'll say this. Well, that's the way it's been done, so that's the way that I'm going to do it. But what they don't understand is if you go back to the, you know, 80s, 70s and 80s, when, you know, back in Arnold Schwarzenegger's days and Zane, they were all doing diets on ketogenic. Right. They were having no carbs for long periods of time during their prep. They, they were having a pretty high protein, though. A lot of them were, I think. Yes. They, they would Some maintain a pretty high, high protein. protein. Um. But no, I I totally agree, and, and I I I've competed in PC and I've competed uh, naturally on natural stage, um, so it's a little bit different with that because you don't have that issue with the super supplements so much there. Um, but it does make sense, you know, because a lot of these pro athletes are using like insulin, you know, as a supplement. Um, yeah. And I mean, I don't know how you. I don't think you could. Sup, I don't think you could inject insulin and be on a ketogenic diet and it work. So, no. <laughs> yeah, I don't. You're, I don't think that's gonna happen. Do that. It's not gonna work at all. Yeah. So, so that definitely kind of throws a, a wrench in the plans when you're trying to, you know, incorporate keto into like the IFBB level. Um, but again, that's that's probably not the healthiest healthiest mix of things in the first place. So, trying to avoid that, anyways. So, real quick, what uh, I'd love to hear. You said that you used to do the carb cycling uh, when you were doing a contest prep, you would be keto throughout the whole off season and then you would start to incorporate carbs when you started doing a prep. Was that just because of mental biases that you had in your mind or was there a reasoning behind that or what made you want to reintroduce carbs? Well, in the beginning when I started doing, I, you know, coming out of keto and going into carbs for prep, it was only because my coach would tell me, okay, we got to get you on some carbs, you know, and, and, I was saying, well, why do we need to get me on carbs? I would stay lean relatively all year long. And they would say, well, we got to put some size on you. And so that would, you know, kind of start this whole carb process. And I'd put the carbs in. And sure enough, like anybody, you know, I'd, I'd blow up and um, put on size only to have to, you know, really fight towards the end of prep to get all of the extra weight that I had put on from eating carbs off. Right. Um, and only to end up being back doing the same ketogenic diet. So it just made no sense. What I wasn't doing and what I changed in 2015 was I really sat down and looked at the science of it all. And I said, okay, we do know that in order to, first of all, muscle is built with protein and fats. 
carbs are just purely an energy source. There's carbs are not essential to the diet at all. And so once I really kind of sat down and just said, okay, I really don't need the carbs. Let me look at what I'm doing in terms of growth from my protein and fat perspective. Really, I was just eating my same maintenance calories. I wasn't creating a surplus at all when I was doing ketogenic before. So that's why I wasn't growing. Well, in 2015, I said, well, that's it. I'm going to go ahead and put myself on a surplus of calories and incrementally bump it up, you know, every week or two, depending on how I looked in the mirror and what my weight was saying and see kind of how that went. Well, not only did I grow, but I also ended up working my metabolic capacity up to 4,000 calories, which is insane. The amount of food that I eat on a daily basis is crazy. What are you eating now? Um, uh, well, right now I'm starting prep for my pro show. So I'm right now I'm at 3,700 calories. Um, and about 140 grams of that is protein. Uh, I stay relatively under 20 carbs. And then the rest of it is all fat. Yeah. That's a, that's So like when you're doing um, your caloric surplus in the off season, are you trying to stick to a specific ratio? Or what's your strategy there? Uh, no, what I try to do, I really don't stick to the ratio. What I really try to do is, um, cal- I, I do it by calorically. Um, I'll take the fats up, definitely. I'll take the fats up. I never really play with the protein too much um, in the beginning when I'm first starting the surplus because, you know, I don't want to get into a gluconeogenic state, which you're always producing glucose, by the way. Some people get a little bit crazy with the whole, you know, if your protein's too high thing. Um, It's going to always be individual per person. That's why the true keto ratios don't, they don't fit everyone depending on what your activity level is. Um, Once I get myself into the surplus with the fats and see how my body adjusts to that, then if I feel like I need to adjust the protein, I will adjust the protein. I leave the, the carbs where they are always. Um, so I start with the fats. I may bump them up 100, 200 calories, see how that goes. Do it again, 100, 200 calories, see how my body responds. And then if I feel like maybe I'm not recovering as much after my heavy workouts, um, then I'll take the, the protein and I'll bump that up by 10 grams. But I'm always in the off season checking the blood and my ketone levels to see what's happening. And it can get a little, you know, scientific for some, but I'm, I'm kind of nerdy that way. But I will the first month take my blood reading 30 minutes after each meal because I want to see what's happening there. And, you know, once or twice a week because, you know, ketones, yeah. blood ketone strips are expensive. Yeah. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll check the uh, blood ketone strips. Um, interesting enough, just to talk about the protein really quickly, I have driven my protein up to as much as 170 grams, um, just to see what that was going to do. And I still stayed at 1.7 millimolars, um, really? with, within my ketones. So that goes to show you that, you know, you just because your protein is a little higher doesn't necessarily mean that it will knock you out of ketosis. Mm-hmm. You really kind of need to check and see, you know, what works, where your body is at personally. So you basically have your, your protein starts, like when you first start your off-season, your protein will start pretty pretty much where it was in your prep, and then you'll increase the calories from right. fat. And then as you feel your body, you know, instinctively, whether it needs to recover more or whatnot, then you'll start slowly bumping up 10 grams or so additionally 
uh, from time to time in the protein. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I knew there wasn't like a set ratio. I mean, it's it's all individual too, you know. Um, there's right. no there's no like cookie cutter plan for any type of diet. But I've really been kind of manipulating with my macros right now in prep, and I'm I'm really excited to play around with this in the off season to see what I can get away with. Because I, are you familiar with Jason Whitrock? With whom? Jason Whitrock. He's a kid. Oh, yeah, I know Jason. Yeah, Jason's killing it. He's doing a 21 day challenge right now. Yeah, yeah. And no, I was just going to mention that. Like, I've, I've been, I just stumbled upon one of my clients told me about that. So I started checking it out. And he's, he's normally at 2,000 calories, which is what I'm at right now. And he and I are both similar height and weight and body fat percentage. So I'm especially taking right. a keen interest towards this. But he's doubled his calories to 4,000. And his weight has not increased at all, really. Actually, He's, he's lost, lost weight, yeah. He's, he's lost a couple pounds, but like his his leanness is right. there. Uh, his body fat's staying low, um, so it it kind of you know the whole it, it just takes the law of thermodynamics and basically turns it on its head for a moment. And I don't know, you know, it's it's he's only been in it for fifteen days now, so it's kind of hard to tell one way or the other. But uh, right. it is it is mind blowing because you would think you know scientifically if you double your calories over a fifteen day span, your body's gonna you know, naturally start storing more body fat. Um, right. You would think that it definitely would, but I think because ketones burn as total fuel, that he's just in a, a full fuel burning state. Now he's also extremely keto adapted. Right. Um, and he's very active. So I, you know, the average person just starting keto, you know, whether they're in two, three months, can't just go and double their calories. I think that they would have yeah. an adverse you know, reaction for sure. But because he's so keto adapted, his body already knows what to do with the extra surplus, you know, calories. And, and it just burns off clean as clean fuel. I didn't expect him to really gain very much weight in all honesty. Um, I said, maybe he'll gain five pounds at best. Um, losing is what I didn't expect. Yeah. And holding, holding that loss. That that's pretty amazing. Yeah. I've been, I've been impressed for sure. And, and he's taken a lot of his in, you know, really super dense fat sources like the oils and like the macadamia nuts. Yes. So, which it's it sucks for me right now. I'm like in prep and I'm like hungry, you know, and I'm watching him in these videos and I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> he's got uh, covered macadamia yeah, nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, my mouth's just watering. But um, yeah, it, it is it is very fascinating to see how his body's reacting to that. And like since there's such there's such dense calories, he's probably not feeling you know, bloated or anything. Whereas if you were to try and double your calories on a carbohydrate based diet, you would just feel miserable, you know? Right. And we'd be in nappy land. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'd be just crashing and sleeping all the time. So I'm, I'm incredibly excited to try that. I think I'm going to implement that like right after my prep basically. And then just had shocked my body. Um, but I've, I've been in keto for, for two years now. So I feel like my body's pretty well adapted as well. Yes, you can you can pull it off once you're keto adapted. Absolutely. Yeah, and and one thing I tell all my clients is, you know, like like I try and say about it takes about a month to fully get adapted, but like you keep getting better and your body just keeps improving. Like my my last six months of the two years have been better than my first six months. Like it just your body learns and continues to develop and adapt to burning fat as a fuel source. 
Right. You know? Absolutely. It definitely does. And it it's it's always ever changing, to be quite honest. Um, I've been doing this now for years and still I see, you know, a difference every few months where my body, you know, like especially for women in the legs, you know, where they hold most of the body fat, my legs are staying leaner and leaner and leaner, you know, as we go down the month. So working my prep in terms of getting fat off my legs is, is becoming not that hard anymore Whereas before it used to be very difficult, so I'm, I'm really excited about that. So that's it's definitely a plus. No, that, that's that's amazing. And like your skin, I noticed my skin is much thinner, which I'm I'm sure you've probably noticed that as well. Which yes. like in the past I would never be able to achieve that that degree of vascularity that I wanted on stage. Right. Whereas now I've I've got more vascularity now, you know, eight weeks out from my show than I did a week out in the past. So absolutely. So that's that's exciting. I would love to dive into uh, keto for you from like a female's perspective because I can't speak on that personally as I'm a man. But how has that been different for you? Because um, I know a lot of women have asked me, you know, can can women do keto? How does it involve like? I know you have four four children. I don't know if you were keto when you had them, but how how does pregnancy affected by keto? Like, can you speak to any of that? Um, yeah, actually, I have a lot of female clients on keto. Um, it it really has so many more benefits than doing carbs. Be, first of all, the ins, no, there's no more insulin spiking, as we already know. So the woman's hormones, just because we're women and we're crazy anyway, <laughs> we can't really – we are. I, I own it. I admit I agree. <laughs> we can't take too many extra spikes going on. So when we get those carbs in there and we spike it, it's like an emotional roller coaster all day long, especially if it was spiked from pure sugar, like, you know, candy bar or whatever the case may be. Um, so I'm having women with more stable mentality all day long, more stable mood, the, the, the mood, they're, they're happier all the time, and they're not feeling fatigued anymore at all. So from that standpoint, it's been a plus. The next thing everyone's talking about, as we were just mentioning, though, is the, the, the way their skin feels. And the way that their hair feels, it's yeah. not as dry and brittle anymore. Um, their skin feels great. It looks great. They feel like they have more of a glowing look. Um, some of my clients even say they feel like they have better elasticity in their skin. Um, so it's it's definitely been a benefit from there. Um, if you go into more of a um, biological uh, set, a lot of them that are you know in their years of, of menstruating, they are actually feeling 10 times better than they were than when they had carbs and the cravings for sugars and carbs that were leading up before then are no longer existent. So that takes away the whole binge eating process that used to take place for some of the women. They're not doing it anymore. They're not having any more weight fluctuating fluctuations. And a lot of them also are not putting on a lot of water retention either. So there's some great benefits in there for women. Um, their physical performance in the gym and or you know on the track, whatever their sport is or whatever they're doing, is always great. It's much better. So it's definitely a win-win for women. That's that's very very interesting because like I I didn't know how that would be affected. What about do you have any clients that are currently pregnant or have just had a child? I don't have any clients that are currently pregnant. Um, I did have a client that was pregnant two years ago that did keto with me, and she did keto her whole pregnancy and. And was absolutely fine. And the child was fine? Everything was fine? 
Say that again. The the child was fine. Everything was fine. Everything worked out. Oh smoothly. yeah, she had a healthy delivery, healthy birth. Baby's fine. Perfect birth weight. Uh, I want to say it was in the seven pound range. Um, so yeah, no no issues there. Because when when a, a child is born, they're actually born in a state of ketosis. The colostrum breast milk is is actually keto. Right. Uh, so a child is actually in ketosis at birth. So I wouldn't expect if the mother was in a state of ketosis, it would have any negative effect. Um, so that that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. So yeah, it has a total positive effect. Now I will say this: when you have a, an infant once they're born and they're growing, you know their bodies have a whole different set of requirements. You know, ketogenic dieting is really not great for them. They do need, you know, carbs to help grow and form and all that good stuff. Which I don't. There hasn't been enough study there as to really why, in my opinion, from what I've seen, but. The infant itself needs a lot more. But right. It, the, the mom doing ketogenic dieting is totally fine. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, I've, I've read Dominic Diagostino's put out some information that suggests that, yeah. you know, children and adolescents and teenagers should be intaking carbs. So I'm hesitant to ever, you know, recommend keto to like a teenager that's like wanting to improve his sports in, you know, middle school or high school. I think they still would benefit from the carbohydrate diet, you know. Um, they do. The only time ketogenic dieting is really good for an adolescent is if they're, you know, in a situation of being obese. Yeah, right. Obese, Um, which is becoming the norm right now. (laughs) So, unfortunately, that is a very sad statistic for sure. Right. So, real quick, you mentioned before we we started recording here, you you had fifty clients and you wanted to put them all on keto and see the results. And that fifty clients is a pretty good it's a pretty good test subject there. It's a good it's a good uh, database. So what 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 did you do and what was the outcome? Okay, so what I wanted to do to test my theories on if it was going to be good, I needed the test subjects to be not all of the same age or uh, sex um, or race because there's different uh, makeups by epigenetics too. Um, just just on your race alone. Um, there's certain things that you can give to a Caucasian person that you can't give to an African-American that you can't give to a, an Asian or Hispanic, believe it or not. Um, and I found that out in some other study stuff. But um, I took all 50 clients and I worked out what their macronutrient base was going to be. And we did it over a 24 week period time frame. And the thing was, I told them, if I make you fat, then I give you a free year of training and I'll take it back off. <laughs> um <laughs> So I put everyone on ketogenic diets, and they had to be, you know, very compliant for this. Um, We did the experiment, and it worked extremely well. Um, I remember my results for some of them in the first week. Of course, a lot of it was water weight, but a good chunk of them, about I want to say maybe it was 65% of them, this was back in 2012, um, lost five pounds the first week, um, which was phenomenal. And some lost, you know, two and three, the normal weight loss there. Um, everyone was res- hyper-responsive to it, which was awesome. Um, so that showed me that someone as young as 21 to as old as 62 would be responsive to this diet no matter what. And also with different activity levels because the 62-year-old is definitely not doing what my 20-year-old was doing. Right. Um, so once I kind of figured that out, you know, there took a little bit of tweaking of macros here and there. Um, but overall, everyone lost weight. Everyone got to their goal weight. 
um, and they all stay junkies. Um, they're all on my Facebook page. We're still friends. Some of them are still training clients. I send them training plans every now and again, and they're all still fit. So it's really awesome to see. Um, a lot of them have moved on to other sports uh, like running and cycling, uh, triathlons, things of that nature. So that's really cool where they were just your, you know, average male or female sitting on the couch before. So it's great. No, that's awesome. It's awesome that you've been able to positively impact 50 clients with you know just simply absolutely changing their their macronutrients like that it's awesome yep um, and their way of thinking now yeah yeah their way of thinking the ketogenic lifestyle like i don't know if you had i mean when when you when you lost all that weight did you develop any eating disorders or anything by chance no um i didn't at first i thought honestly that i was the very very beginning <laughs> i thought i was gonna have you know like these crazy mind boggling bin sessions. Cause that's what I would be thinking about. But the more I got into it, I quickly lost all the cravings. Um, and I didn't have any eating disorders after it actually. And I still say it to this day, you know, I'm like, eh, a cheat is not worth it to me. You know, it's going to make, I weigh my options. It's going to make me feel not, not great, lethargic, bloated, um, sick to my stomach, actually. I'm in my 40s now, so I'm going to be sick to my stomach. Yeah. So, you know, that all of that took place very early on for me, and I'm thankful. There yeah. are some people, though, that do develop eating disorders um, from it that I've noticed. And I think that happens because you have to know the client if you're taking them into ketosis. And so if you've got a client that doesn't have the mentality of, okay, I can just dive right in, stick to it and do it. You need to slowly ease them into ketosis. And that's, that's, that's a process that you've got to do so that they can wrap their mind around the journey that they're on. Um, If you try to do it any way, other way, it's going to fail. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think if they've got the mentality for it, then it's just, it's better to like rip the bandaid off and just get them in as quickly as possible. Otherwise the, the slower progression makes more sense for sure. Um, I, right. I was asking because after my show, I I had eating disorders and keto and and doing the ketogenic diet's been the only thing that I found thus far that's helped me like enjoy my relationship with food where it's become more instinctive now. I'm able to like I remember before I I would not know when I was full and then I would eat and then I'd be hungry. Right. I just I I lost all. Like I didn't, I wasn't connected with my body. You know, it was it was weird. It was surreal. Whereas now with keto, like it's like my body just tells me, and I just know. It's it's uh, it's strange. Yes. Um, but I love it. You know, I can like in the off season, I don't count anything. I probably will this off season just because I'm curious to test some <laughs> things. But I would eat when I'm hungry. I'd eat the right things. I wouldn't have the cravings. Um, and I would just like I would never feel lethargic. I would never feel poor. Like it always felt right. Right. Exactly. And that's the beautiful thing about ketones. I mean, they just your fats keep you so satiated. Yeah. And the brain is working on premium octane, that being the ketones. So you're not you're you're not going to really suffer and struggle and start having eating disorders and problems with not feeling full. So you binge eat, so to speak, Mm -hmm. because you're satiated all the time. Sometimes you're so satiated. And I don't know if you've come across this. I can eat my breakfast. And then five hours later, because I'm working, I'm busy, I'm like, oh, crap, I got to eat. 
you know? Yeah, yeah. But I, I didn't feel star. I wasn't starving. I didn't get that slump that people get in the day. You know, I felt great. My energy was 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 wonderful. I really felt full. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I definitely feel that in the offseason. Not so much now that I am at a you know caloric deficit, but yeah, when I'm right. in the off season, I'm I could go. I could go 12 hours at a time without eating and be totally fine. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's not like I don't like in the past, if I was eating carbs and I would go more than three hours, I would just start thinking, oh, my muscles are wasting away. I need to eat something or else all this hard work is going to be wasted. Whereas now, you know, 12 right. hours, 10 hours, 8 hours, it's all the same. doesn't make any difference. I eat when I'm hungry, you know. Right. Which is liberating right. in itself. You know, you don't have to run your life based off the time clock of when you're also supposed to eat your next meal. Yeah. Absolutely. Man, Tupperware life. Every three hours, I remember it. <laughs> oh, it's, it's debilitating. I was doing my first show in college, and I would literally crack open a Tupperware in the middle of a final exam, you know, and be eating, and it's just like, this is not even sustainable, you know? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, so I I definitely am a firm believer in the lifestyle changes that, that keto brings yep. to the table. I mean, it lets you live again, you know? And, Absolutely. And, and so many people are scared to do keto because they feel that they're going to be missing a certain thing, a certain food group. They're going to not be able to satisfy their craving for something. But honestly, like you can make some pretty tasty stuff with keto. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You can make some great things. Um, I tell my clients all the time there's a, a quick keto bread you can make with almond flour. Um, you can use coconut oil or uh, ghee and um, some baking powder, a um, little bit of one egg and a little bit of water if needed and you put it in a mug and put it in the microwave for 90 seconds it makes an amazing bread i'm actually going to do a video on it um and put that out um because people are always saying they're going to miss bread and i'm like eh, no not really yeah yeah <laughs> there's just so many things you can do so um and, i and give i give my clients lots of recipes on the different things that they can make um, especially in the very beginning i think it's all about visual too mm -hmm. i think they feel like they're going to be missing a sandwich so I give them a recipe that, to replace the bread, so to speak. Or if it's a dessert item, you know, I'll turn them onto a keto mousse, you know, that, that they can make. Or fat bombs. Um, fat bombs go over really, really well because fat bombs taste amazing. Yeah. And, um, you know, once you turn a client onto a fat bomb, honestly, I don't think they ever want a candy bar. Problem is you have to make sure they don't eat too many fat bombs. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. Is there is there like any go-to recipe that, that you yourself use that is just like your soul food, I guess? Comfort food? Um, A go-to. Uh, you know, I don't have too many go-tos because I'm really versed in food. Um, I eat a lot of eggs. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm big on, I love eggs. You know, I, I love eggs. I eat tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of eggs. I eat a lot of salmon because I like salmon um, and avocados. Um, but in terms of like, I don't have cravings anymore. So it's hard for me. Um, I kind of make more of the treats actually for my husband and my children so that, you know, they don't feel <laughs> yeah. left out of anything. Um, but if I if I do have to say what would be a good go-to for me would actually be the fat bomb. The fat bomb. Um, I started when I first got that recipe, I started with it and I said, you know what? These are amazing. They really hit the spot and I'll make those, you know, a couple times a week and then I'm, you know, I'm and, done with it. And what, what is your fat bomb recipe? There's like, there's a million different fat bomb recipes. What do you, what yeah, do you everyone use? Everyone has different fat bomb recipes. So I use a hundred percent cacao, um, and some stevia drops with, uh, coconut oil 
I melt the coconut oil, of course, mix that all together, um, and I put it into the freezer, let them freeze. Um, sometimes I will use a whey isolate, just a little bit, not a lot, um, in that mixture. If I have like a, a cookies and cream flavor or a cinnamon donut flavor um, by Species Nutrition, I'll use the isolize um, just to give it a different kind of a flair. Mm -hmm. um, but that's all I use in there. And they seem to be really good. They've got the melt-in-your-mouth feel. Um, some of them that you make can sometimes be really rich and thick tasting. And I'm not, I don't like those as much. It's pretty similar to one that I make. And I found that the different artificial sweeteners settle in there much differently. So you've had good luck yeah. with the stevia drops, the liquid stevia? Yeah, I use the stevia drops. Um, I used to use powder before. Um, it's so hard to find stevia powder. Mm -hmm. um, and erythritol is really expensive, of course, um, just for making stuff like that. But I started testing my sugar after um, some of the you know, Splenda-type products that I bought would buy just to kind of see because I'm, I'm really analytical. And um, I found that it was really – it wasn't spiking me crazy, but it was taking me up more than I would want to be. But when I use the stevia drops, I don't get that same spike. So I prefer to use the drops. You were getting the spike with like uh, sucralose or what were you getting the spike with? I was getting a spike with sucralose, yes. Sucralose definitely spikes me up. Some people it doesn't affect at all. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and then like I, I try and definitely avoid like the acesulfame, potassium, and the ACE-K. I think that's even oh, yeah, supposed yeah. to spike you more than the sucralose. Um, but yeah, stevia have always been a pretty pretty much a go-to, and ethritol is pretty good. Um, yeah. So I'm going to make brownies or something. I make it with that. Yeah, yeah, with the powder. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, it's – some of that stuff, I don't know. Like honestly, there's there's been keto recipes that I think the substitute is better tasting than the carb version, like the, the pizza yeah. with the, the cheese. Yeah. Have you had the fathead pizza? Oh my gosh, it's delicious you to die for. <laughs> yeah, it's just like a cheese crust with a cheese on top of the pizza. I mean, who doesn't love cheese? I guess if you're lactose intolerant, it probably wouldn't be good. But, right. But otherwise. Um, so we kind of touched on artificial sweeteners a little bit there. What uh, What's your take on supplements? Are there any supplements that you go to? A lot of people, I, my, my supplementation has been like, almost dropped to zero since doing keto um there's a couple things i'll take but honestly like i would recommend like a sodium and a creatine over anything else you know i was just gonna say um i i'm very bare bones and when i tell people that they're always so shocked i'm like yeah i'm bare bones i take more you know health minerals than anything else like your multivitamin magnesium calcium stuff like that um more so than pre-workout you know i don't really take a pre-workout I've got to maybe be feeling sick to take a pre-workout. Um, I've had a bottle, a canister rather, of um, Species Nutrition's Nitro Stim something or other for the longest time that when I finally opened it, it was like solidified. Really? Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I just don't use it. You don't need it. Um, I will use a plain, you know, non-flavored creatine. Um, most of them, you have to be careful. If they're flavored, they're going to have some form of some type of a sugar in there or false sugar derivative, of course. Um, so you've got some people just starting keto. They need to be careful because they'll put those in in the beginning and keep knocking themselves out. Right. Um, but uh, just the, the plain um, creatine. And then sometimes I will just use some salt and water. I'll, you know, take maybe two teaspoons of sea salt and some water right before the workout and i have a good pump and i'm pretty vascular do you do you measure out your your sodium or do you just kind of sprinkle some on top of whatever you're eating 
I don't. I don't measure my sodium. Um, I've never even thought to measure it um, just because I know I, I train really, really hard. Um, and I do other activities. You know, I run sometimes. So I need, I know I'm, I'm sweating all the time. So I literally just pour the salt, you know, on. I, I use pink Himalayan salt and it's, it's on top of every meal that I eat. Um, sometimes if, you know, I make a bulletproof coffee, I'll put a couple, um, you know, shakes in there as well. Do you have any idea how many milligrams, like if you were to just throw out a number, how much salt you think you take in If a day? I had to say I was taking at least 5,000 milligrams of salt, easy. Because really? I, mm-hmm. I, I was, I, I've salted all of my meals too. This past week, I pretty much just doubled it. Uh, and I don't measure right. any either, but I'm probably well over 5,000 milligrams now as well. Um and I've noticed I've, I've had a little bit of a weight increase, but I'm, I'm sure that can be attributed just to the water. Uh, oh, that's water. Yeah. Which is much less than, you know, if I had glycogen from carbs, it's still just a minute amount of right. water weight. But, like, my pumps in the gym have been better. I feel much fuller. And so, like, I was salting everything beforehand, and now I'm pretty much double that. salting it. Yeah, I think, I think people don't realize how much salt they need to be taking on keto. That's a big misconception, right. I think. Um, but yeah, salt is incredibly important. That's going to minimize all those keto flu symptoms, especially on the front end of incorporating the diet, you know? Yes. Yes. When I have a client starting with keto and, you know, they're kind of getting that, um, two things. When I have a client starting with keto, I never mention keto flu. I think sometimes if you mention it, then it's in their brain and they are expecting to not feel well. Mm-hmm. Um, I found the more that I don't mention it, they don't say anything about keto flu. So if they do come to me and say, hey, I haven't been feeling so good, I'm having headaches, you know, I feel weird, I will definitely tell them to go and get some chicken broth and, you know, drink some chicken broth. And they're like, drink it. I'm like, well, you ate chicken noodle soup. It's the same, <laughs> same thing. Yeah. There's no noodles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, it's good stuff. Uh, I'll give them chicken broth. And typically that seems to solve the problem right then and there. Um, and that, that moves them, you know, past the keto flu extremely quickly. So that might be something that you want to incorporate. Um, also I'll have them, uh, take an extra half a tablespoon of, um, MCT or coconut oil, more so coconut oil because MCT oil messes up some, you know, some people's stomach, um, just to give them a little extra added boost. And that seems to help them in the very beginning when they're starting out with keto, but definitely the chicken broth because of the sodium content. Right. Right. Um, I have got some horror stories with the MCT oil. That stuff, I, I don't recommend that at all anymore. It's it's just, it'll tear you up. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> but, have you tried the MCT powder by Quest Nutrition? I have not tried the MCT powder by Quest yet. I keep seeing it, keep eyeballing it, and then I just say, ah, I don't need it, you know. It is it is definitely seeing- worth it. It is It's like $26, $27. But I can take – I'll take three scoops of that at a time sometimes. Uh, oh. and, and if I was to take three tablespoons of MCT oil, you, you wouldn't be hearing from me for a while. But three scoops of the okay. MCT powder and it doesn't affect me whatsoever. But it does increase my ketone levels. Um, and it tastes oh, really okay. good. It makes shakes more creamy and I'll put it in my coffee in the mornings as well. But oh. highly recommend well, that stuff. Right because you recommended it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's good stuff. And then I recently got some uh, Keto 8 – which is just the just the caprylic acid um, straight, right. and so I'm, I'm gonna start incorporating with that because I've got I've got about seven and a half weeks left until show day, so I'm kind of trying to like pull out some tricks from my sleeve right now. 
Um, right. So I'm going to try to incorporate some of the caprylic acid. So we'll see how that goes. But that's a really light. Like it doesn't weigh on your stomach at all. It doesn't upset me right. in the slightest. You do well with the caprylic acid. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it's a little bit more expensive, but I think for seven and a half weeks, it'll be worth it, you know. Yeah, um, absolutely. What else? Can you can you touch? I don't know how much time you get here. We've been on for about fifty three minutes. Again. Are you good on time? We got a little bit longer. Oh, I'm good. I'm great. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Can you go into detail about the? You said you're a marathon runner. I'd like to yes. get your take on how keto affects more of the endurance sports uh, when com- like compared to like a bodybuilding type sport. Right. So in bodybuilding, honestly, in my opinion, when it comes to keto. You'll hear these myths about you'll hear some say on keto and with bodybuilding, you can't work out as long or you're not as strong. That's, you know, totally, you know, not the not the case at all. Um, But honestly, I don't think from a bodybuilding perspective that you really have an opportunity to see how well the ketogenic diet works because you're not doing such a duration activity. You know, some of us are in a gym one hour, hour, 30 minutes max, and then we're done with the exception, of course, of cardio, which is typically separate, you know, separated from your workout, if that's, you know, how you do it. But when it comes to marathon running, here's what I've noticed. So uh, my very first marathon that I ever ran, I ran like everybody else and ate the carbs. Well, during our, this was during our practices, I should say, when you get to mile marker 13, 14, you feel like death. You just want to stop. You want to die. And this is where they call the refueling point. You know, you pull some sugar goos out of your fanny pack. You down those or chew on a chomp and kind of it gives you a spring of energy naturally. And you kind of have enough fuel to keep going until you get to mile marker 19 and you repeat this process. Um, Well, when I started with keto and said, I'm not going to do this because I feel horrible you know, I'd crash at the end of the run. I wouldn't recover. I just felt horrible. I went right straight back into ketosis and would do these runs. And here's what I found. Mom marker 13, no fatigue. Mom marker 19, natural body fatigue, but not the internal fatigue to say, or my brain fatiguing saying, I want to stop. And literally I would run 26 miles legitimately on four ounces of almonds. And that's what would be in my fanny pack. So my refueling portion would be, instead of the goose and the chomp, would be the almonds. And at first, everyone thought I was crazy. And I, you know, said, look, you guys have got to give this a try. I kid you not, you'll feel so much better. And lo and behold, everyone started trying it on our team. We went for the Leukemia Society. Um, We did it on our team. And everyone felt great. You feel mentally clear. You can make better decisions. Um, you're not wobbling and waning all over the road while you're running. You're able to keep a great steady pace too is what I noticed. I was able to keep my pace a lot more steady because my energy was more fluid throughout the entire run. You can't beat that. Yeah, no, absolutely. What, uh, so why, why four ounces of almonds? Do you think you'd benefit from It was just a random pick. Just um, random pick? I just picked it randomly just to kind of, I said, well, you know, if I was eating a meal, you know, I'm going to be out, I would have maybe one or two meals, you know, between the time that I'm running a full race and how much fat would I typically be taking in 
per those meals. And that's kind of where I came up with the four ounces. I said, okay, well, I'm probably going to have about 70 grams of fat between two meals. So I want to have 70 grams of fat on me while I'm running so I can eat so that my body's not literally not missing anything. I didn't miss a beat in terms of my fat intake. Awesome. Awesome. And see, that's, that's like perfect because it just, it goes right in line with your normal day to day lifestyle. Like it's not really that much out of the norm. People are always trying to tweak the system and do all these crazy manipulations but i mean the more you can just make it a healthy lifestyle in its entirety the more enjoyable the whole process is going to be from start to finish um so that that is very cool how was your uh like did you notice that you were intaking less oxygen were you less winded throughout the race Absolutely. Yeah, totally less winded. Um, that's another thing that I love about it too. When I'm doing hit cardio, there's a lot of times that I'm doing hit cardio and people are like, you must not be pushing hard enough. And I'm like, no, you know, my heart rate monitor is clearly, you know, in the red zone, but you don't get as winded. Your oxygen consumption is much better anytime you're doing ketogenic diet, whether you ran 26 miles, whether you're doing hit cardio, it is so much better that it, I, I could, if I could get everyone to just try it out, they'd feel amazing all the time. It makes me doing cardio for prep a whole lot easier too. Yeah. I don't literally feel as fatigued, even in the caloric deficit. Mm-hmm. I don't feel horrible, but I also don't go so steep in a caloric deficit on ketogenic dieting because you you don't really have to. Exactly, exactly. Have you uh, are you familiar with uh, Doctor Peter Atia? Peter whom? Peter Atia. No. He, he he did uh, he did quite a lot of research on I don't know the specifics of it all but basically he he would measure his uh, VO2 output uh, uh-huh. both on ketosis and and knots and he did this several times took out all the variables and whatnot and noticed that he was consuming about thirty percent less oxygen in a keto adapted mm-hmm. state so his his uh, oxygen consumption was you know his requirements were like seventy percent whereas opposed to eating carbohydrates based diet you know he would need that full hundred percent. Um, which is interesting, right. you know. You can you're doing something that's now thirty percent requiring less oxygen, um, and that leaves a lot left in the tank, which is absolutely which is interesting. That's why they've been kind of that's why Dominic D'Agostino has been kind of studying it from like a Navy SEAL perspective, you know, for the divers. Yeah, I heard about that. Um, and I I uh, I measured my ketone levels the other day at like three millimolar or something, so I was pretty high. I got creative. I figured Ooh, I'd, you're you're good. Yeah, mine, mine fluctuate quite a bit. They don't; they're not always mm-hmm. that high. But uh, I just figured I'd I'd test out the whole oxygen thing, and I, I just held my breath for as long as I could. Uh, and I, I I used to be a diver, but I haven't I haven't dove in in years. Um, and I I held my breath for like two minutes just easily, whereas before I would never have been able to hold my breath for that long. Right. So it, it was it was pretty it was pretty cool, very unscientific, but I definitely felt like I consumed much less oxygen in ketosis. You know, which is directly applicable to whatever it is you're doing physically. Um, right, absolutely. So, very cool, very interesting stuff. Um, we're, we've been on here for an hour exactly right now. Mm-hmm. This has all been very interesting. When, when is your show? Uh, it's going to be in June, June 29th, Chicago Pro. All right, I'm going to write this down. June 29th, Chicago Pro. All right, I am doing one. April 15th, which is the Northwest Natural, we ought to do a podcast round two after your show and after my Absolutely. show, and we'll, we'll go into the details of how, because this will be my first prep uh, 
in off season and, and prep in keto. So I'm I'm okay. anxious to see how it works. You've done one before, and yep. this will be your second one in keto. This will be my second one. So you've learned a lot, I'm sure. Um, oh, I've learned all the tricks of the trade. <laughs> perfect, perfect. We'll both be able to reconvene and collaborate and go over what we've learned, and we'll definitely keep in touch. This is the second time I've talked to you, and I'm eager to talk to you again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody. I hope you all enjoyed that podcast episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. I learned a ton from Maria. I hope you all did as well. If you want to follow her journey and check out how she does on this next competition, feel free to check her out on Instagram at wellness one underscore ifbb underscore pro or check out her website at puravitawellness.net. Um, she's doing some awesome stuff in the industry. She's making some waves. She's enlightening people, being informative and educational about how great the diet is for men and women and all body types. So I'm super excited to see what else she does in the future. Also, if y'all would please be so kind as to leave me a review in iTunes, whether it's good or bad, I'd love to get some feedback from y'all. I want to make this podcast as good as I possibly can for my audience. If you have any suggestions, recommendations, I'm all ears. So thanks again for listening. Y'all have a good one.